You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Prepare yourself. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. Jose, it's great to have you on. Uh, wanted to bring you on the program today because we're now in the next full rotation of the Earth. So the hippies are talking about the moon's aligning. People are going online. They're talking about the New Year's resolutions. I'm looking at this new year as one giant test for the financial sector, for the current state of our money. We saw a lot of it going on the last couple of years. The Fed, um, everyone is taking crypto way more seriously. And with that comes great opportunities. And with that come a lot of things that people might not necessarily anticipate. And it seems that when it comes to the state of our money, people are now starting to understand what simple things are, like inflation. Everyone's second cousin is talking about Bitcoin now. You go to certain places right now here here in Wisconsin, you've either got places that hate credit cards and they want to almost do all their transactions in cash, or they're saying you got to pay an exact change or use a card because there's a coin shortage still going on still. I've, I've said this for over a year and a half now, but the war on cash is not a war on cash. It's a war on your ability to access goods and services. And uh, as we enter year three of 15 days to flatten the curve, um, you know, government never gives back any of the freedoms that they take away. Everyone is excited for this new year, and I want to be. But when it comes to our money, if we don't have access to that, if we can't control that, if we can't spend what we want, how we want, where we want, our opportunities are limited. So as we go into this new year, um, what are some of the things that are worrying you. You've written a lot about Bitcoin. You've written a lot about Federal Reserve and all that stuff. What are some of the things that are on your radar that people need to pay more attention to? Well, Remzo, thank you so much for having me on. I do agree with you, Remzo, that the war on cash is real and that in a time of economic crisis, especially when it's clearly been the product of bad public policies from easy money to government intervention. Politicians always try to double down and pile on additional regulations. And one way they will do so is by really attacking the concept of holding cash or like the use of cash in general 
because they think that it's being used for a lot of illicit activities and other stuff that the regime doesn't approve of when cash has been generally speaking one of like the most useful ways for people to transact and also basically safeguard their wealth from the prying eyes of like the political establishment and now a lot of corporations that will spy on them and one way i think they will try to do this is like through the promotion of like a a government sponsored digital dollar or some other like state crypto projects where the ruling class has kind of picked up on the fact that cryptocurrencies and other digital forms of money are here to stay so they want to steal that thunder and channel the energy into like a more establishment based form of money that's what i fear a lot the most but also i think too as well like with regards to money one of like the unique value propositions of bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies is the fact that they tend to be censorship resistant and offer some degree of privacy compared to legacy monetary systems. And as a result, the political class just goes nuts when these monies emerge because of the fact that they do want control and they see this entire COVID-19 pandemic and other and the the government's response has caused this total economic dislocation as a unique opportunity for them to roll out new social and economic experiments that are not exactly conducive to economic liberty, individual freedoms, and sustainable economic development. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're seeing this in Nigeria right now. I think they have something called the sand dollar, which uh, they're going to be rolling out. And they understand that that's going to cause their current uh, currency to devalue. But what they're hoping is, is that you have enough mass adoption, you'll be able to go ahead and get more people on board, it'll go ahead and bring more business into the country. I mean, a- Africa is one of the fastest growing continents in the world in terms of access to cryptocurrencies. It's also the number one continent for the most unbanked people in the world. So these are people who don't have access to the basic financial services that we have here in the United States. So I mean, that's I think somebody called it a $22 trillion dollar opportunity in which you know people throughout the continent will have access whether it's through bitcoin or whether it's through the state sponsored currencies to the global market shouldn't that be one thing that we can look at this situation and say listen this idea of like a fed coin or a state sponsored coin yeah that's not great but if it gets more people into the market if it gets more people working and if it gets them exposed to all these other competing cryptocurrencies out there wouldn't we consider that a net positive well i think that's how a lot of these governments will try to cleverly market these schemes to get a lot of people that probably don't really know um, how the state operates um, into the full, but that this is really just a way to, I think, just consolidate further control. And you see this all the time. It's like the classic bait and switch because a lot of politicians, they do have to get clever with the way they market their schemes and get kind of get with the times because the, the fact of the matter is the crypto genie is out of the bottle. And I think that all these states have recognized it. And that's why you're seeing governments from your typical Western liberal democracies to even authoritarian governments 
release some type of crypto or some type of digital money proposal. But the devil's always in the details when you deal with the state. They may have like really fancy marketing um, with regards to how like they say this scheme will boost economic growth and all that. But then like you don't read the finer details, the fine print where it comes with a ton of other ways that these states will consolidate their hold over people by tracking their information and potentially even like blocking their their um, ability to do certain transactions because in effect what they actually rolled out is really a fancy western style social credit scheme if you will because i think that also the digitalization of money especially in state hands is the way a lot of these governments will try to replicate like the chinese social credit model but give it like a more western managerial twist to it and that's why i think that like the war on cash actually does have a silver lining though. And I think because we don't really operate in a vacuum any longer and that war on cash does make the cryptocurrency alternatives much more attractive. And the more these states try to overreach and push these fantastical digital money schemes, I think you're going to see a greater distrust of the fiat money system altogether and one of the biggest silver linings, in my opinion, of like the entire COVID-19 disruption is that people have begun to lose a lot of trust in legacy institutions, and they're much more likely to experiment with new economic arrangements, such as adopting Bitcoin or just getting into alternative investments altogether because the current system can't hold and it's generally a losing game. And really what the these states are doing with digital money is just rearranging the chairs on the Titanic at the end of the day. Hopefully most people will pick up on this and, uh, and we're already kind of seeing it in real time that the heightened adoption of cryptocurrency is representing a form of like a no uh, vote of no confidence in the system. And the best thing we could do right now is to probably encourage more people to kind of like semi opt out or at least, consider the alternative of cryptocurrency in light of the present fiat system. Yeah. And you, you mentioned something earlier, which is so key, the devil's in the details. There, there seems to be this, uh, this almost gut reaction defense that some people on the right, like you and I, um, throw out when we hear certain terms like blockchain, decentralized, private. Um, what really bothered me was at, I think it was in the summer of 2021 in which, uh, the state of New York was thinking about creating their own blockchain system in order to basically get people to opt into the digital vaccine passports. And that was uh, that was a horrendous idea. Then it's still a horrendous idea. Now that that would be terrible. But you had some people like um, at certain think tanks who were like, oh, well, you know, we should explore it. It's blockchain based. People would have the voluntary option of opting in. And I'm like, just because it's blockchain does not mean it's good. That it's a technology. Yeah. It's not a net positive just because they go with that. It's like saying we want machines versus hanging chads. It 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 doesn't matter how you do it. It's mm. still wrong how you're implementing it. And um, you know, I, I I get really nervous now because you know one, one of my favorite uh, you know finance and investment gurus is Kevin O'Leary, Mister Wonderful. Kevin O'Leary has gotten into the decentralized finance space. He started Wonderfy. He's he used to be a giant. Bitcoin enemy, and now he's really big into Bitcoin. But what makes me nervous is when you have giant 
you know, we'll put them in the institutional investor category. You look at guys like Michael Saylor. You look at people like Kathy Wood from uh, the ARK Investment. They're all people who have very, very connected ties with the political class and then with the business elites and the banks. And they're the people pushing for the most regulation. They're the people that are they're pushing that all cryptocurrencies are hard assets like, you know, a stock or something else like that. It's not transferable cash. I, I almost feel like we're at the point where there's this there's this push for people like we don't want any regulation in the crypto space. We don't want any government involved in the crypto space. I almost feel like it's like you either let them in to some degree or you get to the point where they'll just say holding is a crime. Even possessing any amount of Bitcoin or something else is a crime. Yeah, there's like some truth to the fact that as cryptos become more popular and they get like more institutional money, you'll see people ultimately try to impose like their own vision for the technology and try to regulate it or micromanage it. The good thing about Bitcoin is that it is like a pretty decentralized network in that ultimately the developers, users, like they they do through their their like individual actions in the aggregate, like determine the fate of like how this currency is going to go and not so much what some like self-proclaimed Wall Street expert has in mind for the currency. So you have like a lot of that, like as more people get involved in technology, you might see it go in a different direction that will contrast from whatever Wall Street guru comes in at the present has in mind. And that's like the beauty of the technology. It's not determined by like one central planner. Uh, that said, um, a lot of these communities, there's a lot of people that have a lot of skin in the game and there there's a case to be made that like um, a healthy degree of gatekeeping is needed to make sure that like the, that the technology is not used for like very nefarious purposes or for, or something that advances like the regimes and, and that's like with any kind of technology because technology tends to be value neutral. It's just that what I see with Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies is that it emerged in a free market as opposed to like fiat money and the task at hand should be to form like interest groups and grassroots organizations to make sure that Bitcoin doesn't get like fully regulated or distorted through regulation that in a way that betrays like its overall mission. But nevertheless, I think that establishment actors are probably going to get into it because they do see some value. And one of the unique selling points about Bitcoin is that it doesn't really care about the user's ideology. If people find value in it for like transactions or holding it as like a store of value, or using it as a unit of account, that's what ultimately matters. And I think that um, every um, every type of person who uses it has a role to play, whether it's like a developer or a general advocate or somebody that wants to protect the technology from like state or corporate interference. It's just that people will have to get like more active and educated in that type of e ecosystem in order to like secure it because there are um, a lot of these, these technologies do come with certain costs. Like you have to be probably more vigilant. Whereas with like fiat money, yeah, it's already established and it, you don't have to like worry about like its security and all that, but it comes also with massive costs through the form of inflation and other forms of government control. Um, all these types of technologies 
and medias of exchange, they have their trade-offs and people have to be willing to assume certain responsibilities when they adopt one or the other. Yeah. And I mean, you, you bring up something which is important, which is how people are using it is ultimately going to determine how the entire ecosystem of like, let's say Bitcoin will we'll go ahead and change and adapt as people come in and they, they do different things with it. And I mean, I, I don't, I'm not one of those people who thinks that a complete destruction of the dollar is as good as we might necessarily think sometimes, because with every action, even the most positive of actions for the best of intentions, they, they always end up with, you know, very severe results that we either have to admit will come or we just hope that they don't occur. And then when they do show up, then we have to deal with it. And um, I mean, I've said it before, which is, you know, as, as Americans were lucky and were cursed in the sense that the dollar is the global reserve currency of the world. It's good because it establishes American dominance in terms of this globalized economy. I, I would rather be the person with the dominant you know, currency than not. But at the same time, that also has gone ahead and that's, that's, uh, that's created dollarized countries like El Salvador, where they realized that, you know, if they were poor and they thought if we just use the dollar, maybe things will be better, but then inflation hurts us here, but it really hurts them there. So what they do, El Salvador moved to Bitcoin and other dollarized nations are, are considering that. But, you know, my, my thing is I, I, I still feel that You've got even some people in the crypto space are saying, who cares if the war on cash eliminates cash? We'll have crypto. I'm worried about the millions of people in the United States who, you know, they're elderly. They're not as technologically astute as maybe we are. Those people still like cash. Those people would be left behind if, let's say, we phased out cash next month. Do you feel that that type of situation would just be inevitable, or do you think there would be more time to get people to understand that, listen, your access to cash and your ability to lose cash, um, you know, that, that might be coming sooner than later, despite the fact that you might still be able to get it. You should get on to crypto. You should get on to these other forms of you know digital currency before you know you can hold the cash, but you can't do anything with it. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, there's some um, the crypto space has a, d- a diverse set of like opinions in regards to cash and like other forms of money. I still think that there is value in cash, and that it is like a kind of check against like the transgressions like the state can use against people's ability to transact and conduct other forms of economic activity. I think that in of itself and like some of the privacy implications merits like a defense against like state encroachment. I'm not one of these people that just sees it as like super primitive. I mean, people, a lot of like progressive reformers and whatnot said the same thing about gold being this um, horse and buggy type of technology as a way to like justify its banning in the 1930s and just overall regulation. I think like um, on its merits, like cash, there's a lot of ways to defend it. And um, while I do think like any type of attempts to attack cash will incentivize probably more cryptocurrency adoption. I'm not one of those people that thinks cryptocurrency adoption is going to happen in one fell swoop. I tend to be more gradualist. And I actually do think that um, what augurs well for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies is that people are, tend to be adopting it more gradually uh, over like a <clears throat> at a slow rate as opposed to really meteoric growth because even a lot of projects with very meteoric growth 
you should be like the most skeptical of because a lot of that stuff tends to be fueled by a lot of like mass hysteria and crowd movement as opposed to people like rationally taking their time to adopt it. And I think sometimes like some some of like the better things that happen tend to happen more in the long term as opposed to the short term. I I'm not big into like short-term fixes or overnight success projects. Actually, those are the type of projects that people probably should be the most skeptical of nowadays. So I think that like slow and steady will ultimately win this race and people should still always remember that like the state will find ways to mess with us, whether it's like the war on cash or any type of attacks like on alternative investments. And we shouldn't necessarily think that, um, that we're going to be heading into crypto utopia in like 2022 or 2023. It's probably going to be a drawn out fight, but it's probably better because these type of processes allow for like the people that actually have like the skin in the game to make the contributions. And then like, we're able to like filter out, which are the people who are just in it for like a quick buck or whatever. What, what, what do you think about more of the institutional, um, firms getting involved in crypto. I think, uh, I, I think it was coin, uh, coin telegraph. They went ahead and did a report in terms of who spent the most money on, uh, crypto related ads and what online in 2021. And what shocked the hell out of me was that Jamie diamonds, uh, JP Morgan chase spent more money on crypto related advertisements than anyone else. And just going a few years ago, Jamie Dimon and JP Morgan, they were going ahead and saying, this is nothing. It's not real. It's a fad. It's a tulip craze. Ignore it. Now you're getting them and you're getting all these other banks, uh, USA, Bank of America. They're all jumping into this because their clients want to diversify and they want that exposure to the crypto sector. I mean, in, in Canada right now, they just I think they just approved their first uh, Bitcoin-based ETF. So, I mean, the fact that they're all getting involved with this now, it's like what you said earlier, the crypto genie is out of the bottle. But, you know, just like with government, um, do, do you find it to be a net positive or a net negative that now these, you know, the, these dying banks are like, okay, we better get on with crypto or else we might get left behind with the rest of them? Generally speaking, um, <clears throat> somewhat of a positive, but ultimately what will is going to like determine the fate of like Bitcoin and just in general, like the overall ecosystem or like, or like the so-called like hodlers of like last resort who are more of like the ideologically focused Bitcoiners than other people that kind of understand the technology and are like much more invested in it. And as long as those ranks grow with like people that are ideologically committed to it, that's what's going to ultimately secure those networks and make it more popular because a lot of this institutional money tends to come and go. It's generally a good thing that people start getting into it because even like these institutions, they have like clients that organically probably understand that cryptocurrency has like a legitimate value proposition in this era. And as a result, these dying institutions have to kind of adapt but I think at the end of the day, it really boils down to getting more like high value hodlers and users that are willing to like secure the, the overall infrastructure for Bitcoin and just also getting more involved in the network. 
because I think as well with other competing cryptocurrencies, a lot of them like tend to fail or have like or just basically fads. And as a result, you do see a lot of like this institutional money to make a quick buck go into it. But um, I'm more what I'm more concerned is with just getting more like true believers in the technology to help promote it and also defend it from potential state incursions because a lot of this institutional money will come and go. And at the same time, um, you will have to get like some degree of elite buy-in and it probably makes more sense to have like people um, from these legacy institutions that have actually bothered to do the research to kind of commit to it because that helps as well because people can be wrong about a thing like five years ago, but then learn the error of their ways. So I'm not exactly like saying like these people joining in are a net negative as long as like they're kind of joining in for more about like boosting the overall infrastructure as opposed to just going in to make a quick buck because you do kind of see that more the the latter behavior in a lot of competing cryptocurrencies as opposed to like say like bitcoin or other well-established currencies but i think it's kind of inevitable that your establishment money is going to come in because there is like a growing distrust of legacy institutions overall. You see this from alternative media to cryptocurrencies and whatever, because I think that people are, are beginning to start to question what they've learned over the years. Yeah. And I mean, with, with Bitcoin specifically, uh, you know, it's, it's a very small percentage of uh, Bitcoin wallet holders that own a majority of the Bitcoin that's been mined since, you know, Satoshi started mining years ago. And, um, you know, I, I, I look at people like Jack Dorsey, for example, former CEO of Twitter, current CEO of Square. Um, you know, he's, he's a person I don't trust. I don't, I don't have the hatred for him that many people do. I don't think he's an evil person. I just think that, you know, he's one, what he allowed Twitter to do the last couple of years is, borderline criminal. Well, I would almost say explicitly criminal. He allowed them to remove the sitting president of the United States. He censored the truth online. And people will say, oh, well, how does the CEO know that? Leaked documents from Project Veritas and other whistleblowers have shown that Jack Dorsey did interfere with the 2020 election. So for that, that's unforgivable. But then when you look at what he's doing with, like, let's say, Cash App, for example, um, you know, it's his goal to get every person in the United States to get on Cash App, which comes with pros and cons too. The con being now all your sales, all your purchases, all your transactions, they're not just going through a bank and being tracked. Now it's now it's all these extra companies. Now that's a big, big deal. But at the same time, a lot of people that never owned a dollar of Bitcoin now see that Bitcoin button on their cash app and now they're getting exposed. So I, I kind of wonder too, why do you think people like Dorsey want people involved in Bitcoin? Because while he might be mining it, while he might be, you know, running the transactions as well on the blockchain, it's still not like he owns it. What, what do you think his incentive is for trying to get more people into Bitcoin? Yeah, I'm not really sure with um, a lot of these tech people. I mean, a lot of them do like the idea of like digital currencies because it, it's kind of like in lines with like their vision of like a more like innovative future and Bitcoin kind of manifests it. But um, with these types, there's also kind of, they, they kind of project their vision and agenda for like the world onto Bitcoin when Bitcoin really does like something different, like altogether. And 
that's kind of like the beauty of the Bitcoin network. It doesn't matter what your overall like vision for Bitcoin is or whatever. If you find use in it, um, like as a medium exchange or like store of value, you're going to do that. And also that's with the other users as well. And I think like they kind of see it like as a innovative solution. Like for me, I see it basically as an alternative to fiat money that's like nominally censorship resistant. And it's pretty much has like a limited supply of like 21 million coins. And those are like the unique features that I like about it. Well, for Dorsey and them, I think they see it kind of as a progressive technology, but I think they might see it much more to like move like their overall agendas. But I think Bitcoin does have limits. Like, I don't think like it's going to serve like the function that Dorsey or other big tech people have with regards to like their vision for the future. But like, if they want to like promote it or whatever, like go ahead. But I also think that um, Bitcoin, it might not be like as, um, <clears throat> as expansive as some of like those other people think. And that's why some, some of these CEOs then hop on to like some like new cryptocurrency or promote some other novel idea. And <clears throat> we should like, kind of like remember that like Bitcoin it's like vision, I think tends to be like, much like more simple in the sense that like it is like kind of answering like questions about like the failures of fiat money that we've seen over the past century as opposed to like some like grand like techno utopia that will like fundamentally transform like the way we do like even like basic interactions which is what i think some people in the crypto space think and i think that's a bit um pie in the sky but it's like yeah, whatever yeah. as long as like people still encourage like as long as like Dorsey and these others encourage people to at least like learn the technology, learn how to use it, like learn like best practices for like storing your Bitcoin safely. I think that's fine, but um, it's basically an experimental money and we're just living it in real time and seeing how it plays out. Um, but I think the, the key is that people most importantly do their research about Bitcoin, not hop on because some guru on the internet said, do so like watch like some youtube videos read about its history read about like general like what is like money and how monetary experiments have played out over the past millennia and then come to the conclusion about whether you should adopt bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies on your own yeah and i mean i I, as much as i believe in cash as you know just the simplest easiest way of transferring value to value from people I mean, it's it's getting to the point where people are starting to see that their money is disappearing, and their access to control it privately is is you know it's it's basically non-existent. I mean, one thing I I warned about at the beginning of 2021 was that the next big phase in you know cancel culture specifically would be the debanking of people, the unbanking. Uh, we saw a bunch of banks go ahead and liquidate. Uh, well, they didn't liquidate Trump's assets. They went ahead and basically, you know, canceled his accounts. They wrote him a check and said, "Here, take your money. You can't hold it here anymore." Well, it's really hard to, you know, grow your money, store your money when it's all just in cash. That is one of the primary functions of a bank. But you know, with with that, that's another reason why conservatives are now starting to realize that whether it's unbanking or denial of payment processors or anything else, crypto may have been your enemy when Fox News didn't like it four or five years ago. But now you look at it, and it's it's going to be your only friends because, like like what you said earlier, it's a technology. It's it's a neutral factor. 
uh, it's the intentions and the actions that go behind it and, you know, apply it going forward that ultimately matter. So, but before we uh, head out, you know, I'm, I'm just curious, the Fed coin, you know, the, the digital dollar that uh, many people are talking about, Janet Yellen, Jerome Powell, I, you know, a few years ago, I would have said, do you think we're going to see something like that in our lifetime? I'm curious, do you think we're going to see anything like that this decade? I think you'll see attempts to impose that, but what you're seeing overall, though, is that people have gotten so distrustful of the way things work in D.C. and just like the overall corporate climate as well, that even if they were able to impose that, you would definitely see an accelerated growth in the overall alternative crypto space, especially among Bitcoin, that I don't think they would be able to as successfully impose that type of project on people. I actually am pretty optimistic in the long term for uh, cryptocurrencies because the reality is people around the world for diverse reasons, for political, all the way to practical economic reasons, are becoming more acquainted with technology because we do have like the internet, which has allowed for countless people to exchange ideas and learn about new technologies and practices that will make a lot of like the state's activities in these spheres obsolete over time. And so I, I do think that, we should always be on guard in the short term because we're still dealing with like really like parasitic elites that want to enact all sorts of fantastical projects that interfere with our wealth building processes and also that infringe on our basic liberties. But at the same time, we also have a legitimate alternative that's slowly being built that can offer like a new off ramp for people that I actually don't think will be that disruptive. I um, I do defer with some people in the crypto space that like the fiat money collapse will be some like catastrophic element that will eventually lead to the rise of Bitcoin. I think that the rise of like Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies ha- is happening concurrently in a manner that can like basically serve as a cushion in case we have like a so-called systems collapse. So I think that the future is not so bleak. Nevertheless, like people should always exercise vigilance and prudence when it comes to what's going on around us because we're still surrounded by a lot of people that like the idea of controlling others. So people should always keep tabs on all all levels of government to just make sure that they don't try to um, hoodwink us into accepting another set of tyrannical schemes. But I think this point in the game we finally do have a technology that generally speaking aligns with a lot of our interests and it's also building a new class of elites and or at least aspiring elites that can change the entire conversation of how we view money and economic affairs and as long as people keep getting involved in this network and building it we we'll have like a legitimate alternative that people can turn to and constructively use to secure their, not only their wealth, but also their freedoms. 
And that's the most important thing at the end of the day. Jose, thank you so much for joining the program today. You've got a Substack. You're on Twitter. If people want to go ahead and subscribe to that or follow you for everything else that you do, and you do write regularly as well as your two, uh, you know, subscribe to your two podcasts, how could they do so? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Jose Al Nino. That's for my basic like political commentary and just my random thoughts. Now, if you want to go to my Substack, that's Jose Nino Unfiltered. That's where I go more in depth on issues ranging from geopolitics, cryptocurrency to domestic politics as well. And there I have my own podcast called El Nino Speaks. If you can subscribe there for my premium content. And then I have like a, my own little Patreon and subscribe star project called The Nino File. And that's where <clears throat> I talk about like basic political strategy that people can use at the local level to become more effective when it comes to either like passing legislation, repealing bad laws or getting good people elected to office. So yeah, go to the Nino file and subscribe there on Patreon or subscribe star. And folks, I'll make it easier for you. I'll just go ahead and put everything in the show notes today. Jose, thank you so much. Folks, before I let you go, please, it costs you nothing, but it means everything to me. A five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, whatever, wherever you're listening to the show across Al Gore's amazing internet, a five-star rating and review allows folks like yourself to go ahead and listen to conversations like these with Jose. So as always, we'll be back later in the week. Be safe, be good, and I'll talk to you later.